You're listening to. To Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And welcome to our um, end of November, is it November? Yeah, November, November episode where, uh, where we'll be discussing the November Books and Boba book club pick, Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rosa Beleza. And to help us with that, we brought in um, one of our guests, book club member and uh, friend, uh, Lily Rugo. Hello. Well, Lily is currently a uh, what, what do we call you, Lily? <laughs> Student, soon to be post grad, <laughs> yeah. former intern. She runs a uh, she runs a blog called uh, This Bitch, uh, where she uh-huh. talks about uh, feminism and good yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> I also uh, I also know that Lily is a K-pop fan. She kept me company oh, yeah. during during the whole BTS AMA uh, performance, <laughs> and yeah, it was. Lily's yeah. Lily, Lily's a good friend of ours, and Lily's actually oh. Lily has actually worked for both of us. She worked under Rira when Rira was the editor of the Collaboration blog, and she worked mm-hmm. um, with me as an intern last year for Collaboration. Mm-hmm. So she actually came to our first book club meeting, even though I like, did. I got a signed oh, book yeah. from Sarah Kuhn. Yeah, <laughs> that was when you were in town for the internship, right? Yeah. But yeah. in town, I'm in Boston. They're in Los Angeles. Yeah, um, Lily, why don't you share with us your background with reading and books? What kind of what kind of books do you like to read? Um, what is your favorite Asian American or Asian author, if you have any? And um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've always read ever since I was a kid. I've always been a big reader because my parents like introduced me to that. Um, Harry Potter is, of course, one of the OG. Um, I read The Magic Tree House before that. Yeah, Magic Treehouse. Yeah, that was my jam. The Warrior series about cats, because I, I love cats more than most people. And that was great. That was a time. Um, as far as like grown-up books, um, a lot of the things I've read have been for school, but they've been good. So like I've read um, Gatsby and stuff like that. I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, a lot of these are white people books. I haven't read a whole lot of POC until, um, I guess, senior year of high school. Uh, what, what, Joy Luck Club was never required reading for the class, so I did, took it upon myself to read it, which was really good. Um, I've read some other Amy Tan. And then after that, I started reading more Asian American authors, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, of course. Mm. Uh, else? I mean, this podcast is really helpful because <laughs> I've been figuring out other really great authors uh, the heroin, the heroin complex series has been great. Um, but my favorite, one of my favorite authors right now is probably Celeste Ng. Mm. Uh, I think about everything I never told you still almost daily. Uh, little fires everywhere was so good too. Yeah, and then, really um, Johnny Sun's book is also another one of my favorites. Just like, oh, the out there, that was a really uh, the, good one. Everyone's an alien, right? When you're an alien. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. But so alien cute. spelled with a B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Lily will be um, discussing the book with us. But first, let's uh, let's review some of the latest book news, um, starting with um, new releases. Okay, first on our list is Finding the Edge, My Life on the Ice by Karen Chen, published by HarperCollins, released on November 28th. 
At 17 years old, Karen Chen has already achieved what some girls only dream of. The daughter of Taiwanese immigrants, Chen began to figure skate at just five years old. Ten years and many grueling training sessions later, she broke out at the 2015 U.S. Championships with a bronze medal. In 2017, Karen became the U.S. national champion, winning gold in two programs and receiving the highest score ever recorded for the short program at the U.S. national level. For the now, for the first time, Chen shares the story of how she got where she is today and where she's going next. Um, I'm a huge figure skating fan. I have a whole Tumblr dedicated to figure skating. Um, so I'm very excited for the 2018 Winter Olympics, and Karen <laughs> is a phenomenal skater. So I am very, very excited that this book is out. I'm probably going to go buy it pretty soon. It's a this is, so this is a biography. It's it's a memoir, Uh-oh. and the foreword is written by Christy Yamaguchi. So nice. yeah, definitely definite, like legit cred. I'm excited. It's, it's been it's been hard to root for the American team the last few years because a Michelle Kwan isn't. Competing anymore, and B. Mirai Nagasaki got robbed four years ago. She's making a comeback, though. Like yeah. um, she hasn't. I, I haven't really been keeping up with GPF this year, but mm. uh, yeah, like we have Nathan Chen, and he won uh, the Restalicum Cup, so he's yeah. doing pretty well. And um, we also have the Shib- Shibutani siblings who yeah, are just ice dominating dancers. ice <laughs> So, yeah, very excited for the American team. Although I am cheering for all of my favorites, whether, <laughs> despite which country. The main takeaway from? from this yeah. whole segment is that Rira, like I really, I, figure really skating love is figure Rira's skating. jam, pretty much. I watch the World Championships every she year. She watches the animes. Yuri on Ice, okay, so good. Okay, hang on. Do not. If you come for Yuri, I will fight you. I've never watched it. I hear it's good. Do it. We were born to make history. <laughs> Um, uh, next up is Ever the Brave by Aaron Summerall published by HMH Books for Young Readers releases on December 5th after saving King Adrian with her newfound Chandler powers Britta only wants to live a peaceful life in her childhood home unfortunately saving the king has created a tether between them she cannot sever no matter how much she would like to and now he's insisting on making her a noble lady And there are those who want to use Britta's power for evil designs. If Britta cannot find a way to harness her new magical ability, her life as well as her country may be lost. The stakes are higher than ever in the sequel to Ever the Hunted, as Britta struggles to protect her kingdom and her heart. And our last book for new releases this month is Three Daughters of Eve by Elif Shafak, published by Bloomsbury USA, releases on December fifth. Perry, a married, wealthy, beautiful Turkish woman, is on her way to a dinner party at a seaside mansion in Istanbul when a beggar snatches her handbag. As she wrestles to get it back, a photograph falls to the ground—an old Polaroid of her with her two university friends and their professor. The book follows Perry as she reminisces about her friendship with Shirin, a charming and fully assimilated Iranian girl, and Mona, a devout Egyptian American. Their arguments about Islam and feminism find focus in the charismatic but controversial Professor Azur, who teaches divinity but in unorthodox ways. This is our first Turkish book that we've mentioned on this podcast. Mm. Um, it's definitely something that I want to read more of because I really don't know much about Central Asia. You know, Turkey was the connector between Asia and 
Europe for the longest time through the the Silk Road, right? Yeah, I know that Alif mm. Shafek. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm saying it correctly. Alif Shafek, like the author、um, that we just mentioned, she's like Turkey's like most popular female author. So she's actually very successful、mm. in her home country. It's the first time I'm hearing about her work in America. Yeah, but that just might be. Me and like my ignorance, so I'll definitely try to learn more about her work. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the whole point of this podcast is to learn about what's out there, so you guys go and explore. And you know, even if you're reading books that isn't one of our book picks, please like discuss it on our forums. We'd love to learn more about stuff you're reading as well.、Um, that being said,、uh, before we move on to book news,、uh, don't forget that. We have a Goodreads group where we、um, hold discussions.、Um, there's been a lot more activity lately. A lot more people introducing themselves.、Um, if you're new to the group, please don't lurk. Please tell us who you are so we we can welcome you into the group.、Um, it's been really great to see people just give their thoughts and discuss、um, things that are happening.、Mm. Yeah, and on that note, let's move on to book news. Little Brown acquired Nandini Bajpai's contemporary YA novel, A Match Made in Mahendi. The story follows an Indian American teen girl who comes from a long line of matchmakers and decides to try to gain popularity in high school using her family's matchmaking traditions to create a dating app. Publication is scheduled for spring 2019. I feel like why hasn't this already happened? It sounds like、life? a Bollywood movie. <laughs>、uh, <laughs> next up is Simon and Schuster bought North American rights to 19-year-old Nadia Okamoto's nonfiction manifesto on the youth menstrual movement. Power to the period. Currently a sophomore at Harvard, Okamoto is the founder of Period, the menstrual movement. The book is expected to show how young people can change the conversation around periods. To support gender equality, ending poverty, intersectional feminism, and the environment.、Oh. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> End period shame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Next up, Lian Lo is editing Roberto Pena's picture book, Pedro's Yo-Yos: How a Filipino Immigrant Came to America and Changed the World of Toys. The book is a biography of Pedro Flores, who popularized the yo-yo. In the United States, and will be illustrated by Carl. I'm gonna say Angel, but it could be Angel.、Um, Peñas won the 2016 Lee and Low New Voices Award for the manuscript, which will be his debut. So, so congrats, congrats to Roberto. Also, I did not know that、um, Yo-Yo was po- popularized by、uh, what's his name, Pedro Flores.、Mm. Did not know. They mean the was... little circular one on a string, right? Not the one with two yeah,、sticks. yeah, the circular one on the string. Not like the、oh. fancy Chinese yo-yo that we've I mean... seen. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun fact I picked up in high school, but I didn't know it was from、uh, from Asia.、Yeah. I just heard it was like a modified, like children's toy, modif or a weapon that has become modified popular children's toy. Wait,、oh. weapon? I can see that, like a like a like a Morning Star. Or like、um, okay, interesting. Kind of. I don't know if it was on, used on people or like a hunting tool, but yeah, they would just kind of like well, I mean, throw it that, at their target, and then it would come back. There's that Chinese weapon that's just like a dart on a string, and like the way they, the way you fling it around, it's kind of like yo-yo tricks. Okay.、Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Next up is Mira Books acquired Mike Chen's debut novel Here and Now and Then, which tells the story of a man who races across time in order to raise and then save his only daughter before she is erased from history. The book is set for a 2018 publication. Sounds like the time traveler's wife. It's reminiscent of it, but、um, it sounds interesting. Yeah, time travel is always an interesting premise. 
Um, Tough to pull off. <laughs> um, next up, Knopf acquired Elizabeth Lim's YA debut, The Blood of Stars, and an untitled sequel pitched as Project Runway meets The Wrath and the Dawn. To provide for her family, 17-year-old Maya Tamarin disguises herself as a boy to compete for the position of Imperial Tailor. Her task to sew three magical gowns of the sun and moon and stars lead her, leads her to find adventure, romance, and danger in a Chinese-inspired fantasy set. In a Chinese-inspired fantasy setting along a reimagined Silk Road, publication is, set, publication is slated for May 2019. And next on our list is HarperCollins acquired Cindy Lin's The Twelve, a debut Asian-inspired middle-grade fantasy. Pitched as Avatar The Last Airbender meets Harry Potter, the book follows 12-year-old Usagi as she teams up with rebels in hiding to hone her innate magical abilities and reunite a mythical group of warriors to save her island kingdom from tyrannical dragonlord. Publication will begin in summer 2019. I love all these Asian-inspired fantasies coming out. Oh my god, 2019 is going to be a magical year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that um, that Elizabeth Lim novel sounds kind of like Project Runway meets whatever that other book is, meets Mulan, too. Speaking of Mulan, <laughs> they casted Mulan. Yeah, yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. so many thoughts about that, but... Um, Same. Well, yeah. there's there's a thread going on in our Goodreads forum, so maybe we. Maybe oh yeah, we'll... you'll hear my thoughts in that in the forums because <laughs> well, I wrote a really long post. <laughs> well, we can discuss more on there. Uh, but before we get to our book club discussion, we did want to talk a little bit about the um, minor, not minor, the major like <laughs> incident that came up in the world of comic books this past week. Yeah. Um. So Marvel's new editor in chief. Uh, C.B. Sobolski. I, I don't know if it's Chabolski or Sebolski. I mean, they know, they, mm. you know, who, who knows how to pronounce these people. Okay, names. well, I'm just going to call it Sebolski. <laughs> uh, he recently mm-hmm. admitted that he wrote comics under the Japanese pseudonym of Akira Yoshida um, 13 years ago for about a year. And I mentioned, I mentioned this on um, my other podcast, the Collabcast, but that's like the same as naming your guy like John fake name. John Smith. Yeah, like Akira <laughs> and Yoshida are very common names. So, yeah. um, but it's it's really messed up because one he broke company policy because back then Marvel didn't didn't allow their editors to write comics for the company because of um, corruption. Mm. But he he decided to adopt a Japanese pseudonym and and well, like he also gave interviews as akira yoshida so there are interviews of him like making this elaborate backstory about how he i have i have a quote um it's a super crazy story yeah he like tells journalists that he grew up in japan reading manga and how he like first learned english from his from american comic books that his dad would bring him um from business trips and that's really fucked up, man. Yeah. <laughs> also, mm-hmm. like it's it's really fucked up because like Marvel and a lot of uh, other comic book p- publishers, they were looking for a Japanese like Jam- they Japanese were for com- diverse diverse. Yeah, uh, they were looking yeah. for own voices comic book writers, and mm-hmm. he got hired as Akira Yoshida because they thought that he was Japanese, and therefore the stories that he was telling were like authentic yeah and reappropriate um, had this great thread going through some of his like um some of his stories that he wrote as akira yoshida and in, involved like 
Wolverine in Japan or like Kitty Pride in Japan or like he also wrote uh, yeah. Electra. Yeah. And that's like I mean that's really fucked up because a lot of uh the characters and the setting like it's set very in Japan. Oriental, it's Japanese like, yeah. inspired but it's not it's it's like honor. Yeah, and- she like dug into the storylines. <laughs> it's a lot of talking about honor and sacrifice and this is how we do it. This is how we this is how we honor And and the thing that, like, really disturbs me is that Marvel knew about this for a number of years because Sobolski, like, came forward and told them about his pen name, and they just quietly let let Akira Yoshida kind of die? Well, there's two things, right? There's that Marvel knew about it, and even when they didn't know about it, they used the fact that, oh, this supposedly real Japanese person is writing these stories about samurai honor and bushido whatever obviously it's authentic so we're gonna publish it Mm -hmm. and it's like because you know that like publishing has like institutional racism like there can only be one asian comic book writer (laughs) right so i i just think about how like how many jobs that asian american creators were turned away because of cb sobolski and it's like what a way to start your editor in chief career, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know if he's still gonna stay in that position after all of this. He shouldn't though. But Marvel still promoted him, even though they knew yeah. that he went through this crap. And yeah. okay, like fair point. Like he has family in Japan, and he's kind of like lived in Japan on and off. But that doesn't mean that he's Japanese, and he's definitely not Japanese American. It's. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember, like, a couple of years ago, there was this white poet who went by a Chinese name. Yeah, and he won, he got into an anthology, won an award. Yeah. Because people thought he was Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, these, like, these white authors, they think that they can just cherry pick from a culture and just... It, it's really frustrating because a lot of a lot of Asian and Asian American creators, we have to change our names in order to be more marketable. Uh, yeah, and it's like that's that's mm. a really like agonizing process for us because it's like you're you're just like oh do I like I like my name it, it it's like beautiful in my culture but I have to change it to like something that's phonetically similar. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a like there's um there's another guy that does this too. He writes David Wong. Yeah, I knew you were gonna mention him. <laughs> and like the first time I saw, oh the um the editor in chief of Cracked is David Wong, and then like I looked him up, it's like. This is a white dude. (laughs) (laughs) This is a pseudonym. I don't think he's ever given interviews as an Asian person, though. I will will give him that, like... But at the same time, we're at a time when we're, like, so hungry for representation. Especially 13 years ago, when, like... Especially 13 years ago, like, it was really racist back then. At least, like, they couldn't, like, get an actual Asian person to tell those racist stuff. Like... (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling. This type of thing shouldn't have been okay back then. Definitely isn't okay now. And um, I guess we'll end this with um, there's been a hashtag movement to actually call um, bring light to actual Asian comic writers called hashtag actual Asian comics writers. We actually recommended some comics <laughs> through that hashtag. Yeah. And so did a whole bunch of people. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that like Comics isn't restricted to superhero genres. Like, it's definitely a much wider medium than most people think. I mean, manga is considered comics. And 
Um, def- like mm. we read Monstrous for this book club, and <clears throat> and that's not really superheroes either. Yeah. So or T Buoy's, um the best we could do. Yeah, you know, which was yeah. a graphic memoir. So definitely um, check some of check some of the recommendations out because I think people have yeah. done a really good job compiling rec- recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. we're going to take a break and then yeah. go into book discussion. <laughs> um, there is a thread on- ongoing on our Goodreads forum. So if you want to sound off on this, um, feel free. We'll see you there. Uh, but yeah, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about our November mm. book club pick. All right, Rira, Lily, you guys ready to go yep. to the stars? Am I <laughs> am I reading the book jacket description, or are we just yeah. going to jump right S- into tell it? Tell us, let's start us off. What is Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza about? The only surviving heir to an ancient collusion dynasty, Re has spent her life training to destroy the people who killed her family. Now on the eve of her cro- now on the eve of her coronation, the time has finally come for Re to claim her throne and her revenge. Alyosha is a Raton who has risen above his war refugee origins to find fame as the dashing star of a drone vision show. Despite his popularity, Ali struggles with anti-Raton prejudices and pressure of being perfect in the public eye. Their paths collide with one brutal act of violence. Ri is attacked, barely escaping with her life. Ali is blamed for her presumed murder. The princess and her ex- the princess and her accused killer are forced to go into hiding, even as a war between planets is waged in Ri's name. But soon Ri and Ali discover that the assassination attempt is just one part of a sinister plot. Bound together by an evil that only they can stop, the two fugitives must join forces to save the galaxy. Yeah. So, um, starting off, what are your, I guess, initial thoughts about the book? I will let Lily start since she is our guest. It was good. Um, I was never, like, I wanted to finish it. I was never bored, but I never feel, like, I don't feel compelled of, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? I need the sequel right now. (laughs) Um, uh, I thought the author did a really good job of kind of expanding on it. A lot of these sci-fi space stories will be, like, set across the galaxy, but there's actually two planets. Um, I thought she did a really good job of actually detailing space and the way they travel and stuff like that um and describing different aliens there were some furry ones there were some slimy ones they're not all just like roughly human based so i thought she did a good job with that but like overall it was it was fun it was it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i liked it a lot um i thought the main characters were kind of jerks but i liked the story (laughs) um the main characters, I, I, they were written as like selfish, to be honest, right? Yeah. Um, so it was kind of fun to to read and see the story like unfold this like this um, galactic conspiracy slash like um, space opera, while also like having these characters get punished for their stupidity every single chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> actually, one of our uh, book club members, Erica, um, posted on Goodreads how she. Uh, was really um, appreciated the portrayal of space racism in the book um, as not only between species, but also between 
human factions as well. Yeah, it was like really nice to see people of color in space because I feel like mm-hmm. we don't see that a lot. And it was nice that not only racism was uh, present in the story, but also colorism because there are like little scenes where uh, like a character is told, don't go out into the sun yeah. because your, your skin's mm-hmm. going to get darker. And that's like considered a bad thing. Yeah. And this is not to say that space racism is good. We're just glad it's addressed. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I was I was very surprised how timely some of the themes were in this book. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was it was really freaky and and I had to like check yeah. when this book was published. It was published earlier this year and I was like I mean, shitty people doing shitty things to gain power and to But there were like war. there were like it's some a, very story as like oh, that's that time. I was just like damn. There was like specific things in this book where I was like, "Oh man, this could have been pulled from a Donald Trump speech." And <laughs> It, it, it was a little bit jarring, um, but I really liked um, the intergalactic policies and not, not policies like the politics, politics yeah. of it and like just how each planet and each territory had their own culture and their own way of like communicating. And the technology in the book was also like really intriguing I mean, it, the book like, overall uh, reminded me a lot of uh, Star Wars, where mm. there's, like, multiple characters, and they're kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And with the whole, like, Zep- space Zeppelin, it kind of reminded me of Galaxy 999, although <laughs> in, in Galaxy 999, that's uh, that's a train. It's a space train. But yeah. Yeah, mm. it definitely reminded me a lot of other sci-fi um, sci-fi works. Probably a lot of work was put in by Rhoda to build this galaxy right because she has like and she has a map in the beginning of the book oh thank god there was oh yeah map. i forgot oh, about my that god um but yeah like it's every planet every setting had its own distinct character and she was able to um convey that in very succinctly too um mm-hmm. where should I, we start should we start with uh because basically the, the the way this novel is is set is two basically two narratives that switch off every, yeah i, I wanted to ask chapter. you guys on your opinion on the dual uh perspectives like were you a fan of that or was it like hard to uh like pay attention to the story or was it something that made the story more interesting it was really hard not to skip every other chapter sometimes oh, who, <laughs> just read it whose pov did you prefer Whose POV did you prefer more? I liked Alyosha's. Me too. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> because um, Reese was just kind of like Alyosha was more like of a like a swashbuckling adventure through the stars, and Reese was like <laughs> man on fire, but bad. Like not bad as in like a bad, like not good overall, but like she's yeah. just really bad at her job. It was, it was just really funny because all yeah. of the all of the people that she that princess re uh runs into um they tell her you're spoiled you're sheltered you're entitled mm-hmm. and you think that you're this badass like assassin but you're really bad at this and she's like mm-hmm. no i'm not i'm i might be young but i've been I, training my whole life for this moment yeah, yeah but then like she fails so many times and <laughs> i actually really like that even though i i got annoyed at her making these mistakes but it's like oh it's nice that you have a protagonist who's making really stupid choices and she's facing 
a lot of consequences for it. Yeah. And this is also, not to say I didn't... she is 16, so there are a lot of, like, YA or, like, 16 teenage protagonists who are, like, able to do all of their goals with somehow. So it is nice to see that, like, oh, yeah, 16s are... 16-year-olds yeah. mess up a lot. That's something that I kind of forget sometimes when reading YA is, like, the characters are typically teenagers. Yeah. I mean, I also, like... My pet peeve is um, when teenagers are written as if they're like old souls. Yeah, it's like, oh, I listen to eighties music, and I'm like, <laughs> like I'm like a forty year old at heart. And I'm like, that's so like, not like, what like teenagers Juno's, right? like, and that's not how they <laughs> act. Um, so it was really nice that you have a protagonist who is like so imperfect and so single minded in one thing, and kind of like is so impulsive that she just kind of charges in without really assessing Mm -hmm. the situation. And I think there's a growth to her character by the end of the book. I mean, it was a very frustrating journey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think at the end, and we're skipping around a little bit, but in the end it sets her up as kind of a, like, I wonder where she's going to take this into the next book. And the, so I've got, I bought the soft cover version of the book, uh, which came out this month. And there was a preview for the next book at the end. And it seems like they're taking her, like she is taking the the Cersei route of like, I'm going to play this game now. Like yeah. now that I know the rules, I'm going to play the game and like win from like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what mm-hmm. about you, Lily? Like, uh, did you like the dual POVs? Uh, is there one that you preferred more over the other? Um, I thought I, I did prefer Allie's, but neither of their narratives were like so on the edge of my seat that I thought it was like a jarring switch. I would just be like, oh, OK, now we're switching over to this dude or like back to her, back to her. Um, kind of talking about the character stuff. She was. Yeah, she, you could always tell she was 16 year old. Uh, Allie, I kind of forget how old he's supposed to be. He's what, like 18, 19 ish. I think he's yeah, he's. He's probably closer to yeah. 20 than... Yeah, probably yeah. closer to young adult age. Yeah, and, like, he was still pretty immature, but he also, like, he's seen some shit in his life, and he was not as, like, annoyingly old soul as, like, what you're talking about, Rira, but you could tell that, like, he's he was drawing on some, some stuff shit. that he... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, from his perspective, yeah. we kind of see the... And, like, the, the, the refugee or immigrant struggle, right? The Like, his whole, mm-hmm. his whole character is about, like, just putting your head down... And even his like mm-hmm. his his arc. Um, so Alyosha is the he's a private in the collusion uh, like, uni force army. Um, that and his like he he's he's um, stationed on a I guess outer rim patrol ship with his um, his um, comrade buddy um, Vincent. And they inadvertently become reality TV stars. I thought that was a really <laughs> nice touch because oh. uh, there are so many. I just figured like. They're the equivalent of YouTubers, right? They're like... No, they're like the real... They're like cops. Yeah, they're like... Yeah, cops. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, that makes sense. But it's it's just like so funny to me that like they they are these reality stars and yeah. the production team has to like create like fake yeah. chase scenes for them because their job is so boring <laughs> that there's nothing happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then like... In all, in, all, in all sense, like Ali is a black character. He he is dark mm-hmm. skinned He's from a planet that people view as savage and like not war. Like they're second class citizens, pretty much. Um, he's paired with his partner is basically the equivalent of I don't think it's white, more like maybe 
how did you read the the clues? I like? I thought he was white. Um, I don't know if like his eye color was mentioned. I think Vincent mm. might have had blue eyes, and yeah. I think I yeah I figured. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah, I figured the collusions were mostly like European, Western. But then, but, but then that's like tan too. So I kind of yeah, read it maybe because like, like Rhee is described Asian. to have like tan skin, and yeah. I'm guessing that she's more like uh like Filipino in appearance, right? So um it's hard to tell. I just know that Vincent has privilege. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like it's it's really funny because I wrote down I wrote down a quote that um Ali says and he says this is him describing Vincent. He did whatever he wanted because people had always let him. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh that's just white privilege just in a sentence. Like Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then but if you think about this, this is a reality TV show about a interracial cop partnership. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I, I thought that was pretty, that was really like, like, I don't know. It's, but, and because of that, like, he is burdened with the um, rep sweats pretty much. Yeah, because, uh, mm-hmm. cause, like, people find out that he's uh, part Rayton and, mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, that's not that's not okay. And he and I think Ali is kind of like burdened with like model minorities. Like, oh, I need to be like the perfect. I need to rate. represent. Like, I need to show mm-hmm. everyone else that my people aren't that bad. And I need to yeah. also yeah. show my people that they can get to like can yeah. get this far, um, mm-hmm. which is which makes the whole um, which makes this whole arc more tragic. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, how do you, so should we focus on one arc at a time or should we like, I think, I think we should just jump around wherever okay. we feel like. Um, so I mean, the, like the, in space, <laughs> I mean, the, the general story is, um, Princess Ri is on her way back to be coronated. It's an early coronation spurred by, um, the ambassador Nero. Um, and well, she has route, to be coordinated because her all of the senior members of the royal family were killed in the mass assassination yeah, her, attempt. Her family were yeah, her family died um, in what they're calling an accident. Yeah, they were they were leaving their planet, yeah. and she wasn't sure like what they were. Yeah, uh, why they were leaving, but like when she was younger, she knew that they were fleeing from their planet yeah. for for a reason. And she was left behind, and then her family like space car blew up. Yeah. Space, space, yeah. spaceship blew up and for all these <laughs> um, years uh re thought that the regent of kalu was responsible yeah. for arranging the murder her of father's her best friend because um so like in the background of this this whole story is this peace treaty right that um kalu signed with fontis yeah fontis uh which is a planet of what i assume to be space elves oh my god right? i had the same exact <laughs> i wrote being, space, yeah, elves space elves in my notes <laughs> space elves with who, tattoos who fly flying trees like, so like yeah it was an unpopular treaty because kalu was already on the on the path to victory like they would have won um mm-hmm. and wiped out fontis but the Ree's father wanted peace yeah like because Ree's father knew that um not making the treaty would extend the war extend casualties and possibly have a genocide on his hands <laughs> and that's something that mm-hmm. no politician wants under like yeah and so uh Ree remembers that 
Setra, her father's best friend, um, was warning him like half the half the galaxy wants you dead. Yeah. Right. And she believes that was him threatening her father. Right? Mm. Based on her memories, like, and yeah. memory plays a huge role in this story. Like, yeah, we, why don't we, we talk, talk about, about that? that? Um, because I think it's it's a huge like important to the, the plot. Yeah. So in this world, they have cubes. They call it cubes, which yeah. is basically a um, basically a implant that records memories. It's how you connect to the internet. It it's pretty much our it's phones like, in like. Like a chip your form. Neck. Yeah. yeah. It's like on the back of your neck. And it comes with Google Translate. It comes with Google Maps. It comes with like Picasa yeah. and um, YouTube and yeah. Twitch all built in. Yeah. Yeah. And the cubes, mm-hmm. like, m- not everyone has them, but most people have them. Most people in like the inner. Uh, circle of planets yeah. the outer planets yeah. don't really have cubes but um yeah, so but, they are like luxury smartphones pretty yeah much luxury smartphones that you're always plugged into i wouldn't even say luxury i think they're they they try to make them pretty available yeah pretty too. available yeah. so just um, smartphones yeah and so there's a subplot of this story about like the ethics of like if you have this thing that can basically store memories like how do we how do you ethically advance that technology? Because they talk about, mm-hmm. like, okay, so how do we do person-to-person transfer? How do we do communications? How do we do retrieval of memories? Yeah. And should we do retrieval of memories? Also, um, it brings to mind that there are a lot of people with these cubes who are constantly revisiting like good memories and not living mm-hmm. in the present. Yeah, And also, like... Um, it it seemed like the cube kind of blocked your senses, like because you're so focused on something that's not happening to you in real life yeah. that you can't really hear what's going on in in real life, and you can't really smell things, and um, it really just turns people off from the real world. Yeah, mm-hmm. and people like a huge point of this, especially Bree's arc, is her. By living in this, like, by replaying this moment over and over again in her head, she's developed her own belief structure based on this one incident. And that kind of informs her entire, like, her Arc goal. Personality. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it's interesting when, uh, when she's, like, when she turns off her cube and she's going on her journey, um, like, all these old memories are popping up. And they're memories that she never really visited in her cube and she's like pulling out like new details right yeah like uh details mm-hmm. about her sister like when she used to revisit her memories through the cube she kind of saw her sister as like uh like a perfect sister who had everything together mm-hmm. and was like very kind to her but then when she actually thinks back on it through natural memories she's like oh no my sister was like oh hard bitch who who like had tough love and we used to fight all the time and she and it's like it's like really interesting because it's kind of like the cube has kind of like an instagram filter for for memories you you only pay attention to the stuff that you want to pay attention to and that's a good point like both re and ali have to turn off their cubes because the tracking 
yeah, because they can also be tracked by it. They can be identified by it. So I think even in, in the first few chapters, basically, Re is on the run because she just uh, escaped an assassination attempt. And Ali is on the run because people think that he killed her. I guess we uh, we can go into more of the plot, I guess. Um... So one of the more frustrating things about the story is... Um, the book jacket makes it seem like they meet up at some point and yeah. team up, but they never do. Uh, it's it's a duology, <laughs> yeah. so I'm guessing that they do meet up in the second book. But yeah, I I thought that too. I was like, well, they meet up for like one scene. I thought like like, like halfway scene. through the book, I was like, are they ever gonna meet? And I just gave up mm-hmm. on that thought. I was like, I don't think they're ever gonna meet, and that just made a much more uh, pleasant reading experience yeah. for me. Because I yeah. I didn't have this fake like false hope that they were going to like meet and like have like and and like team up together. I actually preferred that there were two separate stories because uh, I don't know it it kept me more engaged. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As soon as the second mystery girl was introduced in Ali's arc, I was like, oh wait, they're not going to interact. Like the two main leads aren't going to interact at all. I totally knew that was her sister. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of like very predictable twists in this book, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. It's just like this, like like how the ambassador, like I knew, like I had a feeling he wasn't, yeah, the bad guy. Um, and seeing her like really fuck that up was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like what did you yeah. think about her uh, meeting Dalin, the Fontesian monk that helps her? You mean like the murder monk? Like, <laughs> the murder monk? <laughs> the murder elf? Ridiculously violent monk? Yeah, like the murder um, elf with like fire powers? He doesn't have fire powers. <laughs> he burned the he guy to like a... Uh, to, he has a to ring. I don't left. think it's him. Yeah, I don't think it's like <laughs> um, him. I think it's a piece of weapon, but... I don't know. Because I, I, uh, hmm. you're, you're kind of introduced to him as like... This person who saves Re from getting killed by Veyron, her longtime companion and yeah. protector. And it, you think that he's like a good guy for the most part, right? Because he like helps her and he like offers her a way to disguise herself and he like hides her from the Uniforce officers. But he kind not betrays her, but he has his own agenda but at the at the same time she didn't really trust him anyways right yeah um but yeah like i thought it was interesting that like he he was so mission focused but he was like oh sure we'll take this detour so you can murder your your target because it's also his target yeah right yeah was he supposed to be like the foil so Re can look at like his ruthlessness and be like oh wait i don't want to get that bad no i think he's like the love the the main lover no, I don't think what? they have. No, because like no, Rhea, Rhea was obsessed with Julian. Like from no, beginning, Julie, Julian beginning is to like the end. Ho- Julian's the hometown guy. They're setting up a love triangle. This is a YA book. Right? <laughs> They're setting up the love triangle. Not, not all YA books have love triangles. They they no. Honestly, trips. I thought Allie was going to be in a love triangle between the sisters, and I was like, this is interesting. That is the that's the because, other love triangle that will form. No, I don't it will think be so. dual no, love triangles. No, no it's Re uh, the elf. And Julian, but it's going to be... I think it's going to be Julian. I don't know. We'll, Julian's we'll kind, of like a, we'll kind of a punk. We haven't seen enough of him <laughs> to know. Yeah, he exists. 
But it was. I it, love how we're just like so jaded with why. I'm not jaded. Okay, I I trust the author, who's also an editor, by the way. I think she knows her tropes and knows how to skirt around that. I did enjoy the 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 or like the earned romance for Ali at the end. Um. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. F- with Dalin, he's a Fontesian monk, and I thought that was really interesting because, like, Fontes, uh, the planet, it seemed to like they seem to practice one religion. Yeah. Like, so they they worship one god, which is kind of reminiscent of Christianity. Christianity. And Kalu um, practices something more similar to like East Asian religion, which is um, ancestor and oh. um. Yeah, like ancestor and paying respect. Like, yeah, paying respects to ancestors. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was interesting because, like, uh, normally when when we look back in history, like people with multiple gods are like kind of condemned, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's only one god, and you have it all wrong. But then in this book, it kind of flips it, where it's like, oh, you pra- you only worship one god? That's kind of messed up. And they have a slang for uh, uh, Fortesians, Fontesians. And Fontesians also don't use cubes because of religious practice. So that that's also like an interesting aspect because most of the, most of the galaxy use cubes. Um, yeah, but it's also weird that they still had them installed. Like, that yeah, that was, that was set weird up. Too. Like cubes weren't uh, a voluntary thing, or like you you sign up to be a monk, but other Fontesians kind of use them low key. Because I I kind of realized like, wait, why does he have one then? I guess like when they do decide to join a monastery, like monastery, mm. they they make a vow to turn them yeah, off forever. It, it's like the no sex oh, law, okay. except it's no cubes. No cubes. <laughs> Imagine if that was like in real life. It's like, oh, you want to be a priest? You can't have a smartphone. No, that's your iPhone. <laughs> you can't use the internet for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, isn't that? Yeah, there's there are religions like that though. Um, so let's talk about Ali um, being framed for a murder that he didn't commit, and how the world kind of reacted to it. I mean, he's framed because essentially because he was a scapegoat. He's like a prominent. He was a convenient like scapegoat because he mm-hmm. finds the escape pod that Veyron was in. And yeah. Veyron is uh, Ree's companion who she killed because yeah. he betrayed her. And it was, and he sent out a signal being like, hey, like, I need help. I just found a dead body in space. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, was, hmm. <laughs> he was a convenient also. He was convenient also because the big bad, the main bad guy, um, who I guess we can say Nero, who is the... Ambassador? He's the ambassador. He's like the the PR guy, right? Of He's the, more like the, the uh, I, I guess, yeah, P, PR guy, press secretary, yeah. press manager, who turns out to be like a like a crazy dictator guy who's doing secret experiments, and mm-hmm. he wants something on on Reta, which is um, Ali's home world that got pretty much like nuked to hell. Yeah, they got nuked to hell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like the planet is completely destroyed. Yeah, and if you look at the map that Rhoda drew, it's like just pebbles. It's like yeah, it like Rata is interesting because it's where the cubes were actually manufactured because yeah. they had the material to build them. It's a it's a manu- it's a working class manufacturing yeah. like world, and it yeah. it says mm-hmm. it, it says something about colonialism, right? It's just like oh. 
this planet has a thing that we want. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's like pretty much do shit to <laughs> this planet and control it. Yeah. So Ali is from that planet, and because the main bad guy wants to invade that planet, Ali makes a very convenient scapegoat. Like, look, those guys are still bad. Let's go invade them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked. I ended up really liking Vin. Um, during yeah. during the adventure. Um, because he's like, he is portrayed as, you know, like your classic rich boy with privilege. Um, but it turns out that he's also a spy spy. for the United Planets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he's fighting the good fight. He's like part of the resistance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and he really does keep Allie alive. Yeah. He saves his butt. Yeah. Um, and then halfway through the story, he... He dies. dies. He dies. I did not see that coming. I thought Vin was going to stick around. Yeah. <laughs> and then he didn't. So Because Ali pulled a re and was a dumbass. Yeah, he yeah. pretty much got into a fight when when it was the worst time to get into a yeah, fight. Yeah, like he... <laughs> I would say that like that entire accident is equal to you not looking at the road because you're like looking at your phone and then you like crash into <laughs> yeah. the truck. That's pretty much what happened yeah. in, in like yeah. space terms. And then only after Vin dies does Ali realize that like man, he was a good friend. I mean, isn't that <laughs> I mean you don't yeah. know what you had until you lose it. <laughs> I thought that was that, that, was, that was that was a bummer. I'm um, going back to Re though, uh so she wants to get revenge on Sietra mm-hmm. and she gets some mark because she refuses to take the DNA pill. And I, and I've read a lot of reviews where people were really infuriated by that. Cause they were like, why didn't she just fucking take the DNA pill? Like it would have saved her so much trouble. And I, I mean, I, I got it. His, her identity is like, all, like her identity as the last. Yeah. Princess. I mean, like she's yeah. known Dalin she for like yeah. how many minutes, like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, take this medicine. That's going to change everything about you. Yeah. It's like, of course you're not going to, you're going to have some hesitation. Um, yeah. But she, she gets a mark and it's really unclear to me whether that's permanent or if no, that's like, it, it wears like off. Fates. Oh, yeah. wears off. Okay. Um, but she, she's got like a really bad bruise, I think. Well, it's just like, it's, it's, I think it's like, um, I imagine that like really bad eczema or like a big rash, kind of like like tumors or not the tumor, but like I imagine it'd be like a really bad like yeah. But she she yeah. goes to kill Sietra um, at her own funeral, right? Because yeah. everybody thinks that she's dead. Uh, but then she starts to dull her memory because because since she turned her cube off, she's been noticing other like signifiers but then that's when um dalin swoops in and murders him anyways and then she's like basically this throws her into like a shame spiral right because she suddenly starts to doubt that cetera was bad and realized that he's the only person who has all the answers that he was actually like trying to protect them like yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I, she doesn't have him anymore because he got blown I, up. I, I do yeah. want to mention the... I, I do want to talk more about Nero, who mm-hmm. turns out to be the real quote-unquote villain. Yeah. Because, um, like, he's kind of introduced as this suave guy with, like, good looks. He's and, the Stanley Tucci guy from uh, from Hunger Games, I right? Would, 
think he's more like Ryan Seacrest of like <laughs> <laughs> like hosting a uh, hosting yeah. like a show. Yeah, I was so confused at how he got political power because I on yeah I thought he was well he's the ambassador he's the ambassador to um, well the region got killed so he's the next in line I yeah. think that's a terrible system of power I mean <laughs> well no he's he was always a government official he was an ambassador um so would, he was yeah. like he's pretty much like he's had a TV show. No, the TV show is part of his. He's, he's pretty much he's like the press secretary. He's like press secretary oh, and yeah. also like secretary of state. Yeah, he's definitely he is like a head diplomat though. He's definitely like second and third in command of the government. Oh, but like for okay. for a good like quarter of the book, Re um, decides to like go find Nero because she thinks that he can help her. Yeah, and and she like goes into like a, a press like a press event or what is what are they, what are they called? Yeah, press junket. Oh, press press yeah. junket. Yeah. Um, and that's when she notices that he's wearing like his military uniform. outfit, yeah. military uniform, yep. and he's saying things like, "Oh, we've been our immigration laws have been too lax, and yeah. ratings are like are mm-hmm. dangerous, and they're draining our resources." And, and then, like, um, his exact slogan is "Take back what's ours." I know, I show. know. When I read that, I like freaked out. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I'm pretty sure Rhoda Beleza wrote this before 2016, and it's really <laughs> creepy. And then he yeah. says something. He 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 claims that oh yeah, all the escape pods are accounted for, which tips her off that like oh he's like he's lying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a woman in the crowd who like asks him like, oh, this isn't defense. This is like you yeah. attacking other planets. You're breaking the treaty. And they just throw that woman out of the press yeah. junket. And it's really scary because we're going back to the cubes and how like the government can manipulate information. Yeah. Because like you find out that there's an overrider where like, well, okay, so this is the 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 center of Nero's like evil plan is he doesn't want, he doesn't want like to just rule over Kalu. He wants to control everybody, right? And he's the, playing the yeah. long game. Yeah, and the overrider yeah. is pretty much like it's a thing that allows you to essentially like overwrite a person's memories and personality. Yeah, yeah, right? and and like. What's really important is that there is this summit, like I've, like the summit of scientists, and they've talked. They've had the overrider be like, like a couple of years ago, and they decided that this is illegal. This like breaks so many moral ethics. We can't use this, but the government has been secretly using it. No, or wait, no, have no. they been using it? No, the yeah, tech, the text is there, but it's on Rada. It's or the no, remains of Rada, no, and that's what they're. Everything is it's it was brought up as theory. Okay, it's brought up as um, theory, but but it was built. One was built by Lydia. Okay, yeah, because like Lydia uses it on Kara. Kara, that's the only time it's ever been used. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about ravaging, which is another yeah. thing. Ravaging is like hacking. Ravaging is retrieving memory. So like remember a big part of like the 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 meta narrative here is the ethics of a piece of tech that can affect memories and in turn because they can affect memories it can also affect personalities and basically what is a soul if it's not just like your memories and personality right yeah and that mm-hmm. was um presented as a lot of theory but then you through Ali's story you start to realize that no, like they're they've been they have it, they've been doing it. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. because 
Um, so while Re is going on her like misadventures of bad assassins, uh, <laughs> of bad assassinations, um, Ali is basically uncovering uh, the conspiracy um, that's at the heart of Nero's plot. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Nero wants the overwriter. He basically knows that it, it exists, so he's kidnapping every single scientist that was at the like G one thousand summit, ravaging their memories in search for yeah where it is. And the yeah. and his strategy for doing it is kind of like it's kind of similar to our world where like some something um, really like political happens. But they want to distract the masses with like a sensational news story, right? So in this case, it's like in this case, like Ali is the news story. It's like oh, like he murdered the princess when clearly he didn't, (laughs) and people are gobbling it up. While and because they're like so obsessed with that part of the news, they're not paying attention to um, to um, martial law and to all of the. (laughs) <laughs> all of the riots and also like things that the Kalu, um, not empire, but like things that it is Kalu, empire. She's is, empress. I, I guess like the Kalu yeah. empire is like breaking all of these. Uh, yeah, like and violating the treaty. So, <laughs> so it's just it's really interesting because um, with Ali, like he thinks that once he replays his cube. In, like once he yeah. broadcasts it, people will know that he's innocent. But it turns yeah. out that like no, no no one believes it. No one yeah. cared. His his um his whole second act arc is to broadcast his cube. Um and after he does that, um Nero just pulls out some expert witnesses to say how this is a forgery and it's fake news, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it's it's similar to how uh like how black people are viewed in media right like people the media can manipulate facts and manipulate images of um of like black people that are being reported make them look more aggressive yeah and it's just or just refugees in general yeah and then um but during the second act he also meets kara who is a like a late main character edition who whose mother was a scientist is, was a scientist who pretty much invented the overwriter. Yeah. And what did you guys think? But of she, Kara? her daughter didn't know. She just knew her mom was a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys think of Kara? Like her introduction? Like, was it too late in the story or? I don't think it was late for, for a while. I thought, is this re like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, they were does, both in the same Zeppelin. Play, yeah. Yeah. Misconnection. Which I thought that was an yeah. interesting, like almost meet. I did think that was, a good touch. Um, Kara was okay. Uh, I think they could have, or she could have kind of teased out that it was the sister a little longer. I think it was really just like a chap, like re had her chapter and then you knew. Yeah. Well, you know, early on in the book that, uh, princess Jocelyn is alive. Mm -hmm. You just don't expect her to show up in this book, at least two pages later. Yeah. Well, not two pages later, but like, and that was something that I, I, I guess wasn't explained. Like, why, why did overwriting her memories save her life? I mean, it's better to be ignorant than. Is that why? Mm. I mean, the, the the way they made it sound. I'm, I'm sure this will be explained like book two or three. But the way they made it sound was like 
the suppression of the traumatic memories was essential in saving her life. Maybe. Or was it just to put her in hiding? I think it was just to put I her in hiding. I think it was hiding. mostly to keep her in hiding. Yeah, because she like took a I, DNA pill and like erasing her memories yeah. temporarily, like that yeah. does protect her. Because no if Sutra knew too that the both the princes were alive, I think that maybe the whole idea was that he would go, like come get her at some point, or um, you know the old adage: if you're in royal family, you have an heir and the spare. So I think after re was the heir like a small circle knew that they had a spare yeah but it seemed like re wasn't uh qualified to be empress (laughs) no because she's like the second daughter and she was never trained to be empress and it seemed like jocelyn because she had more guidance for her future role she was more qualified to be empress so i mean it's very apparent in how the stories shake out like um, Kara's all Kara's characterized as someone who is um, very proactive, but also very caring and very you know aware of like of her surroundings. Yeah. Or, whereas, um, Re is single-minded, kind of petty, kind of spoiled, mm-hmm. um, and is making a billion mistakes on her path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit turned off by uh, Kara and Allie's supposed romance. I just thought that came too quickly for me. I was like, you guys just met. Like, why are you <laughs> crushing on Kara? As soon as he put his arm around her, I was like, oh, game over. There is no <laughs> chance of them being platonic at all. Nope. I mean, that came like, it wasn't just a few days, though. It was like maybe a couple of weeks at that point, right? I, I guess. No. Like, they, he realized he was, like, attracted to her, but they didn't actually do anything about it until the end of the book, which was, like, a few weeks later. But I'm talking about, like, the instant where they meet when they're, like, in the hold or in the space whatever, basement of the, yeah, yeah oh, the space basement or whatever. Um, and so, like, a guard comes because he hears weird noises and they have to hide. Ali throws his arm around her to, like, hide protect her. her. And that's then you know, like again, like I said, game over. Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I didn't get that. I was kind of happy that there was very little romance because it, yeah, because like the pace of this novel was. I mean, like the first hundred pages, I I was like, okay, let's let's get on with it, like, mm-hmm. like let's see what what happens after the assassination and the framing, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of like speeds at like a breakneck pace, but. I was like really glad that no romance was kind of hinted at until the very end. And I was like, Oh, it's the very end of the novel. I I kind of don't want this. I didn't mind Mm -hmm. it because at least he wasn't like crushing on her the entire second half of the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, What did you guys think about the ending? Cause um, what is it? Allie and Kara, they go to, uh, no, Fr- no Fruma, which is where Re started out in the beginning of yeah. the novel. And they're going to find uh, Re's handler so they can find Re. But then they find out the handler is dead because the handler was Veyron. So we kind of mm-hmm. go complete Were they looking circle. for Re? Oh, no, they were looking for Veyron. They're looking for the contact yeah. named Lance. Yeah. And, you know, Lancer was Veyron and Veyron was killed. Right. So mm-hmm. 
like literally we go full circle. Right, because both of both of them were given handlers, right? Re yeah. and re and um since we know it's a duology, I think it's it's a good setup for like the next half. I'm interested to see where this goes because you have like the two narratives now turn from like so now Re finally realizes who her real enemy is and she decides that she will defeat him through politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Re kind of reminds me of uh Princess Leia in mm. Star Wars. Really? Yeah. Princess Leia was a lot better at her job. I don't know. I I have <laughs> issues with Princess Leia. I feel like she was also too impulsive. Mm. And now she's a general, but yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah, guessing that Rhee will like actually learn from her mistakes and become more competent. That's my yeah. hope at least. Well, there's a whole scene in the confrontation with Rhee and um Nero where he's pretty much lecturing her, like you did that this was so annoying. Yourself. It's like, like you're so short-sighted. Do you yeah. know how long, how many years it took for me <laughs> to plan all of this? And don't you know how long you have to wait in order to make a successful war campaign? Well, also her short-sightedness that, was seems like part of his plan, or he used it to his advantage. Right? Well, yeah, she was able yeah. to get rid of all his obstacles, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. That whole scene I felt like could have been done better. Of just like. And now we have twenty pages of the bad guy explaining his great you gotta spectacular have the bad plan. Guy monologue. <laughs> it was not twenty pages; it was pretty short. And then the octopus man swoops in and saves the day. It's yeah, that was wor- weirder. <laughs> I didn't know that. Like she's gonna get out of this, but I did not expect it like that. <laughs> I'm glad that the governess like was the one who yeah. planned it all out. She's like, I know my charge is imp- impulsive and fails a lot, so I'm gonna go and find the one person who can like disguise her and also yeah. save her later because I know she's gonna get caught. So I like how the governess planned all of that out. I just like the image of the fisherman jumping in with a giant harpoon gun, like very cinematic. <laughs> Did he jump in or did he tear the roof off of a building with a harpoon gun? Well, he crashed through. He pretty much yeah, he made a big damn entrance, pretty much. Um, is there a favorite scene that you guys have? For for me, I really like the I really like the scene where Re goes into the press junket because it's her first because she's been so sheltered and because she has mm-hmm. like such a naivety to her that she believes that her people they're equal and people mm. have um like people are unbiased and more sympathetic towards Raytons. I mean it makes sense because she's crushing on Julian who is part Rayton mm-hmm. and when she notices like all of the hate in the room, she, she says a line, I, I wrote it down. She says, was there so much hatred in the universe, so much prejudice, even among people who claim to be unbiased. So I really I like, highlighted that. Yeah. I really like that scene because it's like her first moment realizing, Oh shit. I have a lot of work to do when I'm imp- empress because there's a lot of, well, she's also noticing how all her Royal guards suck. Yeah, that too. <laughs> she she notices that how how like poorly uh, her guards treat her own people, and she realizes how priv- privilege plays um, plays out in her empire. So that scene really um, really hit me because I think I think everyone after the twenty sixteen election had like a <laughs> had like a wake up moment, and that was her wake up moment. So mm-hmm. I, I actually really, really like that scene. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of the quotes I that I also highlighted wasn't like the overall scene was okay. It's uh, when Allie meets Kara for the first time and they're hiding out in the space bus basement and he's realizing just how much uh, people hate him and his community and stuff. Yeah, like, I I forgot the exact quote, but there was a line where he realizes that war isn't measured by the number of people killed. It's the number of people who are left behind, people who are orphaned uh, because of the war, or people who um, are separated from their families because uh, there's not enough space for refugees in, 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 like, the boat or the ship. So... Yeah, there are like definitely parts in this book that uh, really hit you with um, with themes of like refugees and war and the cost of war. And it's really cool that all of that could be placed in a sci-fi, in a sci-fi book, a space opera book. Yeah, so um, I guess we're, we're coming up on the end of our discussion. Um, anything else you want to mention, Lily? Um, not really. Again, I thought it was a good book. Uh, she did a really good job world building with um, such a large setting of space, but I'm not itching for a sequel or itching to read the sequel right away. Um, I mean, since the sequel's out, I wouldn't mind just continuing on. It was it was a pretty easy read. Like it was, I was able to breeze through it in like a day, um, and that's only because I started reading Jade City, and that kind of took up a lot of time. <sighs> um, <laughs> I told you not to do that. I knew you were going to do that. And it's like, oh, man, don't juggle more than one book right now. I can juggle. It's my thing. Juggling and binging. Um, I actually I bought the softcover version of the book that just came out this month. And it comes with a preview of the first two chapters of the next book. And it seems like it sets up the story for like, I don't know. It, it At this point, I'm interested enough to like... There's a momentum, you know, how like we just because I just finished it last night to like want to know what happens next. So I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll, maybe I will pick it up. Um, I'll probably I'll probably read the sequel. Uh, probably most likely read the sequel <laughs> sequel because I am very curious. Um, overall, I did uh, I did like reading this book. I really liked the setting. I really liked how um, like how there were multiple planets and territories and how like expansive the universe was and just just like themes of colonialism and privilege and colorism and technology and privacy Mm. like there's so many things that are like interwoven into the narrative yeah it's a really good sci-fi plot i really like also that the characters are allowed to be dumb and have consequences for it yeah it's very Mm -hmm. nice to have uh, characters who are flawed and um really you know, like as a reader, you like you get attached to the characters, and for me, it was the entire time I was like, "No, don't do that! Like, <laughs> don't do that!" And like, and because like you are switching between uh, two protagonists, like, <laughs> like I don't know, like I it gave me like recover time, <laughs> like especially with like chapters with Rhea, I'm like, "Oh no, she's gonna do this thing!" I'm like, please don't. Well, and like- then and then the chapter with Ali shows up. I'm like, okay, good. Like, I have, like, a break in between. <laughs> yeah, but I can prepare myself for... Didn't he do something dumb or selfish? Or, I, I also really like, liked Ali's uh, character. He's just a cinnamon roll. I, he's, <laughs> like, it was, it was really nice to have, like, a female character who is, like, 
like so focused on revenge and is mm. kind of like hard edges because I feel like we don't see that a lot in in sci-fi at mm. least. And it was really nice to see a male character who is just like who just wants to be a good boy. He he's a soft boy. <laughs> he has a yeah. good heart and and he just wants to do the right thing, but he's always he's always in situations where he has the wrong timing and he's just like the why is everything happening to me that's his entire yeah. arc it's like, it's like why is like this... while i was reading this book i was like oh protect him like, like, i did he's everything going through right so much stuff i did everything right i joined the army i became a tv star and why does everyone hate me it, his character actually reminded me a lot of zacharias from sorcerer to the crown i mean probably for obvious reasons but but it it's I don't know. I really like this character, and I think uh, the book really um, was interesting because it switched back and forth yeah. between the two uh, POVs. I mean, I, I kind of personally felt some schadenfreude for Ree's plight sometimes. Because, like, look what you did. <laughs> you should feel bad. <laughs> See, with Allie, like, look what you did. You killed your best friend. What the oh hell, my, man? Oh, my God. So there's this, line, oh my God. there's this line in the book where she says, oh, I need to... Um, compensate for my youth with cunning and strategy and i was and i just like rolled my eyes and i was that like is such a 16 year old thing to say though it's like you're 16, a 16 you've year made old so many mistakes yeah. it's not gonna happen at least not for another book like <laughs> uh, we totally didn't mention pavel oh pavel yes what i could not get a mental image of what that damn robot looked like i think he's like a small robot right or like yeah, he's like a small like, Roomba. Yeah, <laughs> two feet tall, and he does he he looks vaguely humanoid, right? Yeah, he's like C three PO. He reminded me of K two S in terms of like his dry sense of humor. I'm all for uh, robots, robot assistance with like dry and witty humor. Yeah, I, I've been seeing that a lot in sci fi books, and mm. it's it's kind of a trope now, but I embrace that trope. I yeah. like it so. Um, yeah, no, Pavel was really Pavel cute. Was I just great. couldn't get a mental image of Pavel, this thing. best character. When they lost him, when they were falling down that shaft, like, no! no. <laughs> I know. Pavel, no! I like that scene where, like, Pavel lies to, um, to like, mm-hmm. one of the Uniforce oh, yeah, he's like, uh, nothing soldiers. To, nothing to see here. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, Ali, like, Ali, he, he thinks, it's like, oh, he can lie now. Yeah. Wow, I'm so proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> or like when he was like worth it worth it yeah <laughs> but yeah there there were a lot of parts in this book that i really liked um my my i i do have some criticism about this book and that's sometimes the setting seemed overwhelming because there was a lot of planet hopping mm. and i kind of wish there was like more um more description so you could like get a handle on the planets a little bit more but yeah i actually didn't mind it as much because because it was from the perspective of mostly ali and he just thinks every planet is trash right (laughs) (laughs) i mean like for me to ask like oh i want more description on like each planet and like their culture that's asking a little bit too much because this book is actually pretty short and that kind of mm-hmm. detail requires like 500 pages. Yeah. So, um, and it'd be a different type of book. I it would like, be a different type you know, of focusing book. Focusing the action was, was a good move. Yeah. I do agree mm-hmm. that, like, you know, it would have been nice to explore the space more. But these are people, these are fugitives on the run, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that'll, that'll do it. That'll do huh? it. Um, so, mm-hmm. our 
final book of 2017 is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. If you haven't gotten the book now, we've been saying it for the past two and a half months. You should get it now. It's a award-winning, <laughs> Nobel Prize award-winning novel, right? No, Nobel Prize-winning author. Oh. The book wasn't mm-hmm. awarded the Nobel Prize. I thought it was for the But he was no, it's awarded for the, author. for the book. No, right? no. Okay. No, author. Lifetime of books. Right. This is so this is our first Nobel Prize winning author that or maybe is it our first? No, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's really late, you guys. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, like December's book is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah. And our January book, because we are trying to give people a head notice, is Pachinko by Minjin Lee. Oh. That book has oh, been it was on, just my... on sale. Yeah, it's. I don't. I think it's still on sale. The paperback came out. That's definitely been on my to read mm. list. Yeah. It's been on my bookshelf for the past year and a half, and I just <laughs> haven't cracked it open. So now it's a good incentive to yeah. read it. Um. So there you have it. That is our discussion of Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza. Um. The sequel, Blood of a Thousand Stars, is out now as well. So if you guys. Can't wait to see what happens to oh. Ali, Kara, and Re and Pavel, of course. Um, <laughs> check it out at your local bookstore. Anyway, Lily, thank you so much. Yeah, thank for, you, Lily, for joining for us. Me. If people want to find your writing, uh, where can they go? Um, I'm really active on Twitter. So I'm Lily at, or yeah, Lily underscore Rugo, R U G O. Um, and then like all of my links are there. Also, if you Google this bitch blog, that's also me. She has an excellent yeah. post about uh, Sherlock Holmes, like <laughs> about the femme fatale characters. And Someone read it. Thank you. I read everything you write. What are you talking about? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, as always, you can follow our book club by joining our Goodreads group. Uh, we have a very active forum where you can talk about the latest news uh, uh, about the latest news about books from Asian Asian American Asian Asian American authors. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we're very active. Riva does a really great job with our social media presence, and we're I've been kind of stepping back <laughs> from it because 2017 has just drained all of my energy. And you know, t- going on Twitter used to be fun. Now it's just mm-hmm. exhausting. <laughs> it is. I think you know what we need to do: just focus on the good and like. What do you like, mean, ignore, like, focus on the good? Like, ignore I feel like the shitty every stuff. time I go on Twitter, people are retweeting all the racist stuff that's been happening in publishing. Like, when the whole Marvel mm. news broke, that was my entire Twitter feed for, like, a day <laughs> and a half. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need a break. Mm. I need a break from 2017. <laughs> well, good news. Honestly, it's it's ending over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks again for listening to Books and Boba. Uh, we'll see you next time. And keep reading. Keep reading. Thanks, Vera. This episode of Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue, Rira Yu, and Lily Rugo, and edited by Marvin Yue. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, please check out one of the other great shows in the collective, such as the Korean Drama Podcast. Uh, the Korean Drama Podcast is a rewatch podcast by people who don't really watch Korean dramas. They just wrapped up their first season rewatching the seminal K drama series Boys Over Flowers. 
You can find the Korean Drama Podcast and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. dot com.